Lord, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We want to say thank you for you know, the people that you've just brought. And we just ask for your real wisdom and guidance in this process, Lord. We thank you that you're the Prince of Peace. When your kingdom comes, it always comes with a measure of peace, Lord. And we pray, Lord, even as we just think and plan and work out what it looks like to move, Lord, that you would just go ahead of us, Lord, and that your hand would be all over this, just as it has been in, in, in the way it's come to us, Lord. We just, we are so overwhelmed by your goodness towards us. Amen. Amen. So um, we are, this is like the last official Sunday, um, other than Christmas Day, so said to the guys, let's end it with a bang. Hopefully it's the best meeting of the year. No pressure. Um, and uh, we've been doing a series, if you haven't been here, if you have been here, we've been doing a series called The Generosity Gospel. And it's, it's amazing just to take that series and link it into the story of Christmas and the story of the generosity of Jesus' life. So what we want to do this morning is I, I really just want to go through a passage in John chapter 1 that talks a little bit about what it looked like when Jesus came. And then I've asked um, some of the guys in our prophetic team um, during the week to say, just pray and ask God, what does he want to do? So at the end, we, we might do ministry a little bit differently and call up a few people and just say, look, um, let's ask God for words for people. Let's see what God wants to do. Um, so we really feel like God wants to unlock something in the prophetic at the end. So I'll try and keep it short and make as much time for that as possible. So if you do have a Bible... You can open up to John 1. If it's on your phone, then I hope you're looking at the Bible. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the Bible is living and active. The bar, I think it's 1 Timothy says the Word of God is living and active. So every time we come to read the Scriptures, it's not just the book, but it's actually the Word. It's the living Word of God. It's got, it's got the activity of the kingdom of heaven is like within the Word that God has spoken. So when we read these verses and when I unpack them, expect that the activity of the Holy Spirit is going to begin to touch your body. Have an expectation that it is living. So something you've read before and understood before might take on a new meaning because there's always fresh life in, in, in the kingdom of God. Someone who can give me some kind of, gl- I wish I was in a Pentecostal church and people were throwing hankies or something. It's like, we are so vineyard, it's like horizontal. It's so scary. It's very scary. I understand like everyone's at the end of the year and it's like, I'm so shattered and frazzled. Have you, like I had those conversations this week, I'm like, I'm exhausted, eh? I'm like the traffic. Every, every time someone says to me, I'm in traffic, I'm like, but you're part of the traffic. It's like you are the you, one component in the traffic, so stop moaning. Your car's on the road. Ride a bike. My, fr- my friend Josh says it's the, most, it's the most exciting time of the year. Anything's possible. You've got to be upbeat. But um, some of us are just feeling a little bit beat up. So I know, I know if you guys don't want to, if you don't want to say amen, it's totally fine. But the Lord loves a cheerful listener. John 1. Okay, so I'm, I just want to read from John 1 through to 18, and then I'm going to unpack a few, a few verses in it, probably not everything. Um, it's quite a familiar passage if you've been in church. If you haven't been in church and uh, hearing it for the first time, I really envy you because so much richness in it. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning 
with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's like every sentence, like a bomb. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, being Jesus, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, or the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God or the only Son who is at the Father's side or is in the Father's lap, He has made Him known. That's such an incredible passage. And I just really sense, like, if, if you guys leave with anything, if some, anything happens, I just had a real sense of, like, the Holy Spirit just resting on people as we just go through this passage and like the word of God just like taking root in your life. And I really want to encourage you just to be expectant to receive that. I was, in worship, I was just reminded of that passage in Numbers chapter 6 where it says, um, may his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance before you and give you peace. And I feel like the face of God just wants to shine on us this morning. It's so awesome being at front because I can see everyone's faces and I just have a sense of like just the kindness of God, just wanting to beam His goodness and His, His generosity towards us. And we say, come Holy Spirit. And this is quite an amazing um, way to start his book, his gospel, because what happens is John doesn't start with the story of Jesus, the nativity story, or like the, the genealogy that it, I think in Luke, he takes it back to like the, the lineage of Jesus, and Luke takes us back, like right to like ancient times, to the time of David, linking Jesus to this line of David. But what John does, he, do, he does something even more profound. He takes us back, not just to ancient times, but he takes us back to the beginning of the beginning. And he says, you actually have to recognize what's going on here. This isn't just some baby that's being born, but this is a new beginning. You re- read it in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But actually, there was a beginning before that where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And he's, he's doing something totally profound. He's basically like retelling the story of creation, saying, actually, you thought it began when God said, let there be light, but it actually began way before that. There was God and the Word who was Jesus, and they were intermingling. God, the Father, and the Spirit in this divine dance, just Father and Son and Spirit, just beautiful communion. 
perfect communion. And out of the place of communion, out of the place of love, he says, let's create something. Let's birth something. I hope that's helping you guys. Most scholars consider the first 18 verses of John to be the words of an ancient hymn or poem that was cherished by the first century believers. So you can imagine just singing this in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It's just like beautiful, poetic summary of the story of Jesus. And um, that word that is used for word is actually the Greek word logos. And it's quite a profound meaning. And um, I just want to read what one, one commentator, commentator says about it. He says, the Greek word logos has a rich and varied background in both Greek philosophy and Judaism. The Greeks equated logos with the highest principle of cosmic order. God's logos in the Old Testament conveys his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and redemption. In the New Testament, we have this unique view of God given to us by John, which signifies the presence of God himself in the flesh. Some have translated this rich term as word, but the Greek term logos may be rendered word. It would be wrong to think it indicates a unit in a sentence. Logos is more accurately understood as a form of a self-revealing message. Jesus Christ is the eternal message, the creative word, and the living expression of God made visible. He is the self-expression of all that God is and contains and reveals. How powerful is that? Jesus is not just only the word because he's what God has to say, but he's the word because he's the, he's the essence of who God is. And I've been listening to these really super intelligent philosophers on YouTube, which I probably understand about 10%. Um, some of them are Christians, some of them are not, not Christians. But they've been talking about this concept of the Logos. And they try and like define it. And it's almost like it's like the essence of something like the story that makes all other stories make sense. Like this is this philosophical concept or like the through line of all lines in every painting that's not part of those lines, but brings them all together so that you see the bigger picture. It's this like wild concept that Jesus is the Logos. They even, they even start saying like, we're not talking about it as dialogue anymore when we speak to each other. We're talking about it as dialogos. Like when we talk together, there's something of a wisdom, of an understanding that's bigger than ourselves. It's quite a crazy thing to try and get your mind around. But essentially what they're saying is like when the Greek understood this word logos, they understood that Jesus wasn't just some message. He was, he's the ultimate story that brings all stories to their own conclusion. Does that make sense? He is the one when, I love what Derek Morphew says. He says, when you meet Jesus, you meet your end. And I'd like to propose when you meet Jesus, you meet your beginning. Like he is the actual beginning of your story. You might have a story of life that started with your parents, but actually there was a story that preceded that, that he is your beginning. The Bible says he's the beginning and the end. When you meet him, all of the stories make sense. Amen? And we, we talk about stepping into the story of God as a church, but you can actually only step into the story of God because God first stepped into our story. God always is the one who takes the initiative first. 
And I think we sometimes think in the church, like because we put up our hand and we make a decision for God, like we chose him. Meanwhile, he's the one who's been pursuing us all the days of our lives, the thread of his grace just running through our lives until eventually he apprehends us and he takes hold of us. And he says, I want to take you out of this tiny little story you think you've been living in. And I want to put you in this big story big story of my kingdom because there's so much more for you. And when you step into my story, you start to see everything makes sense. Thank you. And it says in verse two, he was in the beginning with God. And it was just the sense of like Jesus being with the father. It's like we start not by doing, but we start by being. And it's like your starting points I love that line we were singing, like, me and you, you and me, I don't have to do a thing. You know, for some of us, we just need to realize, like, he's done everything, and he wants to embrace us as a father and a son, and just recalibrate the way we see ourselves as first just being people that are with him. He doesn't want people to do stuff for him if they haven't been with him. And then he goes on in this crazy verse and he says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. It's quite a tongue twister. The message puts it more simply, everything was created through him, nothing, not one thing came into being without him. It's like quite a concept to think of like, I try and think of it as like God, when God said, let there be light, it's almost like he spoke through, like through Jesus. And like everything was made through him. It's like, it's, it's like everything was like extruded through the being of Jesus. Like everything we see has its existence because of him. It says, I think in Colossians it says, he holds all things together. Like the substance of all things only stays together because of the nature of Jesus. If you don't have, any, if you don't have your stuff together, he holds all things together. I don't know what it's like for you guys at this time of year, but I feel like I've got nothing together. I haven't even bought Christmas presents. But there's something about him where he holds all things together. And it just provides such a peace to our lives. And it's just so profound because basically what happens in Christmas is the one who through everything was made, he allows himself to be made. It's like this, it's this wild concept. I still can't get a, my mind around it. Like if you look at everything that exists, everything that exists, John is saying, is because of him. There's not one thing that exists without having come into existence through him originally. And now he makes this radical move of stepping and saying, the word became flesh. He was willing to submit himself to become. And it's just a profound mystery. And I feel like Christmas just becomes something that's like so in our culture and so in our day-to-day or year-to-year life. Like we just get so familiar with the story of Christmas. And I just feel like God wants to break off that familiarity and just like break us into that thing of like, this is a profound story of the radical generosity and extravagance of God, that the one who holds everything together and by him the substance of everything has its being is willing to say, I will become one of them. 
And then in verse four, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. 1 John 1 verse five says, this is the message we have heard and we announce to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So when Jesus came, he came to illuminate everything. It's like he just switched on the light where everything makes sense. There's this beautiful quote from a writer called Wendell Berry. He says, it gets darker and darker, and then Jesus gets born. Other than load six, stage six load shedding. But I was just so struck by, it says, in him, he was the light. In, in him was life. And the light was the life of men. And I was just so struck by the generosity of God towards us. Like Jesus comes not just as like a great messenger, as a great teacher, as a great story. He actually comes as life itself. Like Jesus is life. The Bible says he's the resurrection and the life. So Jesus isn't just some nice guy or some wise teacher, but he's actually like, when you encounter Jesus, you encounter life. Like every funeral Jesus went to ended abruptly and shortly because life always conquers death. Like Jesus hung on the cross and when he went into Hades, when he went into hell, I can just picture like all the demons, the devil, everyone, they were all rejoicing. They're like, finally, we've killed God. And like I could just imagine like pandemonium in hell when Jesus descends into hell. And then you can just picture the scene. I just picture it like Jesus has this glint in his eye. And it says, life has just come down into death. And he says he takes the keys from death and Hades. And he goes, and just like Jonah gets swallowed in the whale, Jesus gets swallowed into death. And what happens? He swallows up death in life. And he takes the keys and he says, no longer can death ever reign. Death, where's your sting? So when Jesus comes in and says, the light was the life of men, it says, he came to show you what life is like. John 10 verse 10 says, I've come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He can only take from which is already living. He cannot create life. Isn't it interesting when Jesus was born, Herod wanted to kill him when the wise men came. And then when he was two, Herod issued a census to kill every boy under the age of two. Because what the, what the enemy can't take out in its birth, he'll try to take out in its infancy. And he tried, you imagine Jesus growing up what the, what the enemy can't take out before, when it's born, he'll try to take out in its infancy. That happened with Moses. Can you imagine what it must have been like to live as Jesus with no peers of, of your same age? Like, can you imagine that? Like he grew up and he had no one his same age or no other men his same age because they were all killed when Herod was trying to take him out. And the enemy will always come and try and bring death. But there's a beautiful verse in Colossians. Oh, actually, let me just find it. Colossians 1.13. It says, He, being Jesus, had res has rescued us 
from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He's rescued, he's ripped us out of darkness, and he's brought us into life. And I just feel like, um, Tessa, you were saying it, like, here's where the dead things come back to living. And I feel like God wants to do that today. Like, he really just wants to say, like, there's an opportunity for us to encounter Jesus, because when Jesus comes, life is released. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And I feel like God just wants to like reinvigorate some of us in our spirits with hope again, that like whatever darkness we've seen, whatever we've been walking through, when he comes in, he is the light. And as soon as you turn on a light, it dispels darkness. You never walk into a room and just be like, oh, put on the light, and half the room's dark, like the dark is like trying to fight off the light. Like when the light's on, the dark just disappears. He displaces the kingdom of darkness with his light. And where you are, you're called to be a carrier of his light, that you go into the dark places, not fearing the darkness, but saying, I've got a greater kingdom within me than what is around me. And I bring the light and where we come and we step into the story of God for the sake of the city, we're saying, we are the light. He is the light of the world. He's called us to be the light of the world. Isaiah 9 verse 2 just before that passage that we all read at Christmas, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Earlier in that passage it says, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, maybe that's our land, a light has dawned. Like he comes and he rips you out of the darkest place of your darkest story. And he says, I don't, just, I don't just change it. I actually recreate it and I bring you into a place of light and life. I hope that's helping you guys. You know, when John saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation, like he fell before him because Jesus came in his glory. And he was like piercing light. And I think sometimes what we do is we just like, we relegate Jesus to these cool stories, but we actually lose our awe and wonder. And I feel like God wants to restore awe and wonder again for the story of Jesus, because it's so profound. And then a, a little bit later on in verse 11, he says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And I was so struck by this verse this week. In fact, I didn't even know what to preach on. And I woke up one morning or one night and I just felt like God said, look at your watch. And it was 1.11 on my watch. And I just was like, it must be one of the Christmas stories. And I read this verse. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And it just struck me like in the midst of the series we'd been doing about generosity. Isn't it the most profound thing when you come across someone and you give, him a, give them a gift, and they're not able to receive it? Have you ever had that happen? Like you just do something like out of the generosity or kindness of your heart, like take someone a meal, and they're like, oh, thanks, and then they're like, okay, we'll bring you a meal next week, like trying to repay it, and you're like, no, 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 it's a gift. And I just thought, you know, this is not just God just giving us a gift. This is God coming in flesh as himself, pouring his life out for us. And it says, his own did not receive him. And just as we receive the acceptance of God, like Jesus took on 
all the rejection of man. So can you imagine the rejection that Jesus, like his whole life, the pinnacle of his life, he just gets despised and rejected by men. He gets left hanging with nothing. Even his garments, it says the very last piece of thing that he owned was gambled away. And he gets rejected. But the beauty of this verse is that his rejection becomes your acceptance. And every place that you're rejected, Jesus wants to say, give me your rejection because I've come to be rejected so that you can be accepted. It's the ultimate, ultimate act of generosity. If you bring God into your rejection, your rejection will lose. If you invite Jesus into the places of rejection of your heart, your rejection will lose because he will accept you for who you are. When you bring God into death, death loses. When you bring God into rejection, rejection loses. And you know what's amazing? Mark 1.11. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. When Jesus becomes rejected, he, he, his father says to him, you're the one I love. You are well pleased. And I feel like that the, that's the word of God over us. This morning he is so so pleased with you and he wants to remove any rejection and I just want to end with this um, amazing part in, in this book where it says and the word became flesh and dwelled among us or the message says the word became flesh and tab tabernacled among us like he became flesh The word became flesh. This is a guy called Rich, Rich Velodas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word didn't become a religious system. The word didn't become a theological checklist or political movement or an ecstatic experience. The word became flesh, loving embodied existence. And I came across this beautiful quote by a guy called Scott the Painter. And I just want to read it to you. It, it just like really struck me this week. It says, any real connection involves vulnerability, whether in marriage or friendship or even in our work. To attempt to create anything in this world is to take a risk. All creating is an expression of vulnerability, even in our biology. The ancient psalmist alludes to an interior process of knitting a delicate intertwining of individual strands over and over again until eventually an elaborate and beautiful tapestry comes to fruition. Presently, we've been able to bear witness to this in utero knitting through published photographs, but throughout the history of humanity, that knitting process remained an interior secret. This interior secret is a vulnerable relationship between two individuals, the forming child trusts the mother to provide all it needs so it can be knit together to completion. The mother offers herself to the forming child, trusting it will take what it needs to mature into completion while refraining from harming her. Both parties grow together connected at their vulnerabilities. Both parties take the risk of creating something new together. If you don't know anyone who has had a miscarriage, just wait, you will. 
And if you don't know of at least one person who has lost their life trying to bring another life into this world, just wait, you will. The risks are all too painful. What does it say about a God who's willing to be this vulnerable with us? Who's willing to come into this world through the statistical risk of childbearing? Who's willing to be attached by a placenta for nourishment and life to its own creation? It's profound. Who's willing to wait and grow in the human womb? Who's willing to be fearfully and wonderfully made just like we are. Any real connection involves vulnerability because it takes the act of making oneself open to be truly known. God came to us floating in embryonic fluid embedded in the uterine wall of a Middle Eastern teenage woman he trusted to care for his fragile knitting process. What it says about a God who's willing to be this vulnerable is that God is willing to open himself up to deeply connect with us. The real question is, are we willing to do the same? So profound. That he would make himself lower so that he could lift us up. And John ends this passage with this remarkable verse. In verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God, but the only son who is at the father's side or the, the version I like, the only son who is in the bosom of the father, he has made him known. You've never seen God until you've seen Jesus. And he says Jesus was in the bosom. He was in the lap of the father. And from that place of just pure intimacy, vulnerability, connection, he's come to say this is what you might have thought I was, but when you see Jesus, this is who I really am. Jesus is the word of God. He is everything God has to say about himself. Let's pray. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. John writes this in the book of 1 John. It says, We saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our, our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning. The very living expression of God. This life giver was made visible. And we have seen him, and we testify to this truth. The eternal life giver, Jesus, lived face to face with the Father and has now dawned upon us. And Jesus, we just say, we open our hearts up to you in this time of Christmas, in this season. We say we open our hearts up to you, Lord. We are maybe just place your hand on your heart. And we just release and declare life in Jesus' name. 
every place where the enemies come to try and steal or kill and destroy to speak the life of Jesus. James, maybe you can just come up. There's a real just sense of the presence of Jesus in the room. And in this moment, maybe let's just stand for a moment or two. I'm going to invite some people up just to come and do some ministry. I just feel like there's, there's something really tender of the goodness of God towards us. a few people just to come up and just ask God what he wants to say so um, I'm just going to invite them to come and we'll just create a few moments to see what God wants to do um, 